What's up, Lions? For as little as $5 a month, you can help this show to grow while also getting access to our exclusive Pride content, which includes shows like Conspiracy Corner, Degenerate Gamblers, Special Interviews, Lions of Liberty Roundtables, and much, much more. So check that out. Help us grow at lionsofliberty.com forward slash support. Welcome to Felony Friday, a presentation of the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here is your host, John Odermatt. Felons, friends, and freedom lovers, welcome back to another edition of Felony Friday right here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. Of course, Felony Friday is the show where each and every week we look at the criminal justice system. Sometimes it's via interviews with felons or experts in the field of criminal justice, lawyers, professors, forensics experts, things of that nature. On the Lions of Liberty podcast, though, we do have two other shows. Felony Friday is not the only show. I know that's a little bit confusing for people because people are used to just going to one podcast feed and they get that same show every single week or every two weeks or once a month. But this show, it's a variety show. You have three shows, three unique, very distinct shows every week. Every Monday, we have a show hosted by Mark Clare, where Mark interviews leaders in the liberty movement. He also hosts roundtable discussions with uh, myself and uh, other lions included. And sometimes we are drinking a little bit of liquor along the way. And we call that show Libertarians in Living Rooms Drinking Liquor. Every Wednesday... We have Brian McWilliams. Brian hosts Electric Liberty Land. Sometimes Brian will bring on a guest, maybe a fellow comedian or you know, somebody just to, to share in talking through current events. But a lot of times, and lately, Brian has been hosting a lot of solo shows. And they're pretty good. They're pretty damn good. Brian does some epic uh, angry rants. So tune in for that. I found that Brian's rants sort of relax me a little bit. Funny enough, but... Check it out. Check out both Mark's show and Brian's show and Felony Friday. You get all three of those in your podcast feed by subscribing on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or Google Play or whatever the heck other podcast catcher that you use. Please do that so you get it delivered right to your phone. Today's episode of Felony Friday is the 117th episode. So that means you'll be able to find the show notes with links and notes to everything that I'm going to talk about with my guest today at lionsofliberty.com FF117. Just one more quick note before we get started. I want to tell you about the sponsor for today's show. Today's show is brought to you by Dan Wise and his team of prison consultants. Dan Wise, a.k.a. RDAP Dan. He's known as RDAP Dan on the YouTube. He has a very successful YouTube channel where he brings on felons, people who have experienced the criminal justice system. They can share their stories, share their successes, share their failures so uh, people can learn from them. And Dan also has a successful prison consulting business. Dan did time in prison and he's sharing what he learned with other people. So if you or someone you know is facing the potential or it knows that they're facing going to prison, You need to call RDAP Dan. You need to get in touch with him and his team because for a lot of different reasons, it's very important to have a very good prison consultant. That prison consultant, number one, they're going to help you to reduce that stress throughout the process. It's a crazy process, a lot of unfamiliar things. The lawyers don't even know what to do. And they're going to help you avoid common mistakes. 
sometimes you can, you can make a mistake, a paperwork mistake early, and lose a chance to reduce your sentence. A prison consultant like Dan Wise is going to make sure that doesn't happen. Dan and his team will also help you qualify for sentence reduction programs. So guys, don't sleep on this. If you or someone you know is facing going to prison, give Dan Wise and his team a call. You can schedule a free consultation by going to lionsofliberty.com slash RDAP. That's lionsofliberty.com slash R-D-A-P. My guest today on Felony Friday is Gracie Walker. In 2007, Gracie was convicted of conspiracy to, to distribute a controlled substance in the Northern District of Texas. She was sentenced to 290 months in prison. And she hadn't been charged at the time with selling drugs. Rather, she was really charged for introducing two people. Uh, when she was arrested, Gracie was a working single mother. She had not been involved with drugs for over three years prior to that. She was not in possession of any contraband or any drugs of any kind could be found um, on her or, or in her home at the time of her arrest. Prosecutors did offer a plea deal in exchange for information, but Gracie didn't have any to offer, so she was convicted. Gracie, welcome to Felony Friday. Hi, John. Thanks for having me. Well, thank you for coming on the show, and thanks for uh, having the courage to come on and share your story. You know, this is important for people to find out about stories like this. This happens to real people, and this gives us a chance to uh, to put a face, really, with the injustice that you suffered, to put a story with the injustice uh, that you suffered. So, you know, I want to give you a chance to really talk about the specifics of um, your arrest and um, really the trial and spending time in prison. We can walk through all that. But before we do that, I just wanted to start with a little background information on you so my audience can get to know a little bit about you. So if you could just start off by sharing, you know, a little bit about your background, really, you know, what you, what you were doing, what your life was like uh, prior to being arrested. I was a single mother, but I was working for, um, I've actually had a couple of jobs that I was working for Mad Trucking opened an office in Searcy, Arkansas, and I had just come back into town when I was surrounded by the DEA and was uh, apprehended. They come up on me with their guns drawn and asked told me to get out the car, and that was the last time I knew freedom, and that was in March 13th, 2007. And they, they once they surrounded my car, they said, get out, uh, and they took me up in my house and they looked all through the house and there was nothing in the house whatsoever. There was nothing anywhere. And they said, well, put me in their vehicle and rode me down to the, actually the county jail facility. And they said they wanted to interview me. So they took me in there and they said that they were, wanted information that on August the 23rd, 2006, now have in mind, this was March 13th, 2007, that they had me, they had they had watched a place where I had apparently introduced two people. And they told me that they had picked one of the gentlemen up and that he had said that he, I would have never introduced him to the other one if he hadn't have asked me. And I said, yes, that is true. Um, they asked me, did I know what they were going to do? And I said, yes, that's why I introduced them, that I was not involved. But I introduced them because they had asked me to. And it was somebody I had known for over 20 plus years. I didn't think to lie. I didn't think to be dishonest. I just thought, well, yes, I wasn't involved. That's why I introduced him, because I wasn't involved. And that didn't matter. 
let's just take a minute and uh, you know backtrack a little bit to get to the point that you know why would you know how did you even know the two people to introduce? Um, you know, let's get everything out there. So you did previous to this, you did have a background in in dealing drugs, correct? Right. Several years before, when my husband had died, I had uh, I had a husband that had died, and someone told me that they knew how I could help support myself, even though I was working at the time at the Texas College of Osteopathic Medicine. I, I was making, and I was left with two kids, and it wasn't enough to make it. So they said that they knew someone who I could basically um, and deliver things for. I don't think that that was a term that they used. It was more like the new all you have to do is pick something up and take it here and then you make money off of it. Mm -hmm. And so I did, even though I was working, I I did that some. And so that was somebody that I knew from then that was my husband's friend, uh, the one that died in 89. He died in May 89. And so, and the other one was someone that I'd known for 20 plus years. I knew him through his first wife and his second wife. And he was the one that asked me, did I happen to know Doc and would I introduce him to him? And I said, yes, but I haven't talked to him in years. I don't even have any way of getting a hold of him. And he said, well, that he had, he has a number that could I call and introduce him. And I said, yes, like a dummy. I was not thinking and, and didn't ever cross my mind that I would be involved in, in any of it because I hadn't been in so many years. And the DEA even commented to me about, well, uh, did you didn't make any money off it. I said, no, of course not. I said, had I been involved, I would have picked up his money and gone and got somebody else's product and put money in my pocket. But that was not the case. I was just doing it as a favor because he asked me to. And because I'd known him for so many years, I just didn't even think twice about, yes, I'll help you out. I'll go introduce you. So I wasn't completely uh, naive or stupid to the fact. I just hadn't been involved in many years because I decided that that was not a way that I wanted to be or maintain my life. And I had too much going for me as well. Because right. I, I had also uh, managed uh, stores for Hickory Farms, and I've managed departments, and I had a lot of management experience, and I had worked a lot of professional jobs. So it wasn't something that I kept doing t- in order to be profitable. So, But I had gotten totally out of it and was enjoying life on life's terms. The two guys who you introduced, do you know offhand roughly what their sentences were? In this yes, case. one got 10 years and the other one got 20 years. And the one who got 20 years is the one who has already passed away. He died several years back in prison. And the one who got 10 years has been out two or three years. As a matter of fact, that was uh, my co-defendant. And he also wrote a letter to the pardon attorney for me stating that I knew nothing and had nothing to do with it. I don't know if that helped with the clemency process mm-hmm. or not, but I was really grateful for that. But I just kept fighting and kept fighting and kept fighting the case, knowing that it was a very much unjust, that I didn't deserve 290 months whatsoever. At what point did you realize, obviously, you got arrested, you realized, you, you know, understood you were in some trouble there and they, they had you on, even though you hadn't sold any drugs or really broken the law, you thought in your mind, but, you know, after being arrested, at what point did you realize, wow, I could actually spend some time in prison for this? When they didn't give me a bond to begin with, they didn't give me a bond because they said I had a passport and I had a ticket. Well, I had had. I was going to go visit a friend of mine that's in the UK, in, in, uh, right outside of Manchester. And so they was not. They, they said that they believed that I would flee. And I said, well, why in the world would I flee? My All of my family's here. I, I was going to go visit. And 
And so they wouldn't give me a passport. So I thought, oh, there's liable to be a there's liable to be an issue here. So at that point, I went and the attorney came up to the jail where I was at, and they were giving me a lot of grief as far as he he basically told me that I should get five to seven years would be his, but don't hold him to it. So I never dreamed that they would come at me with 290 months, never in a million years. It was it was just and it was unimaginable because I knew nothing about federal law. I knew nothing about it. And I just just so uh, I I was in shock and I was totally, um, totally overwhelmed. And I kept trying to find someone to tell me what to do and what should I do. I didn't want to plead guilty. But the attorney, when we went to sentencing, told me either plead guilty or go to trial and get life. That was what he said to me. And so I pled guilty. And and from that day on, I started fighting it. I've inter- interviewed a lot of people, similar circumstances to yours. Not not exactly. This is, I mean, this might be one of the most egregious cases, one of the biggest, most clear injustices that I've that I've seen. But a lot of the time, it seems like the attorneys aren't really uh, that they don't understand the federal system to the degree to actually help you. And I mean, that's not really. Um, you know, that's not really something that's unexpected because really the system is so stacked against the people. The federal system is really, if, if the feds want to lock you up, they will. I mean, it doesn't really even matter if you broke the law. They'll find a law that you did break because there's so many laws out there. But once, so once they had you arrested, you'd been charged, um, when did they start coming to you offering you a plea? They came up to the jail. My attorney said that the DEA that the uh, DEA agents wanted to talk with me and would I talk with them. And I said, I don't know what for, but I'll be happy to talk to them all I can. And so what they did was they come up there and they asked me, well, what do you know? I says, I don't know anything. They said, well, uh, why we, I said, the only people I was asked to be introduced to him. I said, I don't know anybody involved and I hadn't been involved in years. And they even made the comment of, well, they hadn't seen me around in forever and I told them, well, I have not been involved, and in, in nor would I. They said, well, you could get, uh, you could, I think he said something to the effect of at least half your sentence or more if I could cooperate. And I told them, I have nothing to cooperate on, that I didn't know anything. Had I been around anyone, then, then I would know something, but I didn't know anything. And I was just totally appalled. And uh, they were quite upset with me. And and, you know, and when they come at you and then they have this pre-sentence investigation or either pre-sentence report that mm-hmm. I had never even heard of. I don't know if you're aware of it or not, but what it is, it's a background and everything supposedly about your history that they want to know. And they start asking you and questioning you and things of this sort. And I'm battling right now because uh, I am on I had to go to the halfway house once a clemency answer was halfway house in the halfway house. I got to go to home confinement. And after home confinement, you, my, my clemency answer was that I do their RDAP drug program. And they even said that they didn't see any justification for me doing their RDAP drug program, but that, but that but since I was uh, ordered by Obama, President Obama, to take it, that therefore I could do it. So I did. And then, and then after the program, you do six months uh, of aftercare. So I did their six months of aftercare. And I did that, and I completed that. And then you get out, and you're on probation, which is where I'm at now. And still, that lady said that she wanted me to go to this HOPE um, assessment. And I said, I don't understand why. I did all your other drug treatments and things of this sort. And they even said that I, there was no need for it. And 
So basically, they're still saying that I have to go to this assessment on this drug thing and, and then pay them $20 a month. And I'm looking at them like, why should I have to do this? I don't understand this. So it's not just the injustice of the time and the sentence, but mm-hmm. it's still injustice now. And, and it still baffles me beyond belief, especially when they know that. And I have come to learn that a lot of it is about money, the money situation. And then for and they do not want to help people and they want to keep people locked up. And I firmly believe that. And and I have such a passion uh, for things being done wrong. And I just don't understand our society today and the things that we can do about it. But anyway, as I was telling you about this PSI or PSR, they come up there to the county, to the and they, your attorney's there, but they don't get all the accurate information. And if you don't know anything about it, and I didn't know anything about it, how important it was or anything else. And for one thing, I was angry. I was angry about being locked up and, and couldn't find any help and couldn't get out. So when they come up there to interview you on that, they were asking me questions about the past. And I finally said, look, lady, I don't know anything. I, I ha- In the past, I said, I've worked. I said, but that's all I've done and, and nothing else. And they asked me, was I doing drugs at the time of the crime? I said, there wasn't a crime I introduced to people. And no, I wasn't. And I want you to know that the probation officer to this day said to me, she said uh, that I had to do this assessment because I admitted that I was on drugs at the time of the crime. And I looked at her and I said, ma'am, no, I didn't. I wasn't even doing drugs back then. The most I had done for years is occasionally smoke a joint, and that had been years prior. So, and it's still, and it's still going on. And you just can't seem, and it doesn't matter. You, it's If you try to tell them the truth, they don't believe the truth even. So there's nothing you can do. And sometimes you feel like you're butting your head against a wall. Hey guys, let's take a quick moment to hear from our sponsor for today's show. Of course, today's show is sponsored by RDAP Dan, Prison Consultants. And as I've documented many times on this show, sometimes, in fact, often, most of the time, even good people go to prison. And facing a federal case is an extremely stressful time. If you're facing this reality, then you need to contact Dan Wise, also known as RDAP Dan. RDAP Dan on YouTube. He has a great YouTube channel. Check that out. Dan and his team of prison consultants, I promise you, they will reduce your stress levels immediately upon speaking with them. You can call Dan and his team at any time. He will give you and your loved ones open access to support and answers. Now, Dan and his team will assist you with the following aspects of the process. Narrative letters to the judge, character reference letters, RDAP qualifications, prison designation, online reputation management, mindset coaching, and additional halfway house time. Don't sleep on this one, guys. You can find out more and schedule a free consultation with Dan and his team by visiting lionsofliberty.com slash RDAP. That's lionsofliberty.com slash R-D-A-P. And also on that page, I will have links And one of Dan's YouTube videos on that page, you can check it out. Dan has an outstanding YouTube channel with tons of information on the prison system. So I really encourage you to check that out. Yeah, I know we we were just talking about uh, talking about lawyers and uh, you know them not having the really the ability to do much in federal cases. But uh, I know there's there's a big prison consulting business, and some are you know some are better than others. Some are very good. Um, one that uh, is actually a sponsor for this show, uh, Dan Wise, has a prison consulting business. And I know that is one thing that he really stresses 
is that pre-sensing report is getting that right in order to set yourself up in a way so you can um, get into RDAP programs, get in and uh, utilize every mechanism possible to shorten your sentence. But I mean, there's no way of knowing that unless you do hire someone who's actually been through that before. Um, so yeah, that's the system is set up to to trap you in it, and uh, unfortunately. Well, the attorney I had, he had never, he told me he had never handled federal law. Of course, he was qualified to do federal, but because there were 17 of us, they had a hard time if they were going to appoint attorneys, they had a hard time finding attorneys that to do it. And as a matter of fact, at the sentencing, when he said that, yes, we would do appeal, he told me to find case law on it. And I thought, why would you be asking me to find case law on this? It didn't make any sense to me. But he flat didn't know about it and it didn't even bother him or he didn't care about it either. So that was such an injustice as that as well. Um, and for him to tell me that you have five to seven years, but he didn't know about the importance. And when I told him to, I wanted him to dispute some of the things on the pre-sentence report. And, and he told me, well, if it doesn't give you any more time, why bother? And I said, because none of anything in my past that I've done that is any beneficial or anything of any good is not on here. But it didn't matter. It didn't matter to them. They didn't want to change it. They didn't want to do any of that. So yeah, that's that's really unfortunate. Um, so let yeah, let's uh, get a picture of um, you know your your full experience here. So how much time did you end up spending in in prison? Uh, ten and a half years. And you got uh, President Obama granted you clemency. Can you talk about how that process worked? Yes. Well, first of all. I want to tell you that when I went into prison, I went in thinking and getting out of prison. In other words, I always had my mindset and, and belief that I was not going to do this time, that this was not my time. Mm-hmm. And so I kept it the whole time, and I did everything that I could to possibly benefit. And what I mean by that is I took every class, and I stayed totally out of trouble. I was never written up in the whole ten and a half years. Everything and anything I could possibly do, I did. If any class whatsoever came along, I would take it. So on the course of process, I did over 120 classes. Now, granted, some of them might, was not uh, very beneficial, and some of them, that's, that's something else, because they have what they called uh, ACE classes, adult continuing education classes. And a lot of times it was just a video, even a, almost a National Geographic video, that they would show that we would get what they consider points. Because they had points for your security level. When you get into federal prison, you have a security level whether you, and if you're 16 or above, you go to a medium facility. And if you're um, 15 and below, you can go to camp status. So, And it also used to also depend upon the amount of years. And because I had so many years, 290 months, therefore I wasn't camp status at first even though there was no reason not to be. And a lot of that's based on your first time that you've ever been convicted uh, or in trouble or the first age. Um, If you've ever had any violence, of course, I've never had any violence. And all of this is based on the criteria like this. And even your age, it it puts your points, either raises them or lowers them. Mm -hmm. And what they say is you take these classes until you lower your points. But it's obvious that they get paid for the amount of people that take their classes. And so some of their classes are a joke. So when I say I did 120 classes, some of them are what I call frivolous or fluff classes. However, you still, according to them, you're still programming per se. So what I did was I did everything that I could possibly do to every class that they had, every psychology class, every sociology class, 
11 month live in change program, anything whatsoever, a victim impact, I took. And I constantly took, and I also studied the law library. I filed everything that I possibly could up until the time of clemency. I filed a 2255. I filed because the law changed uh, November 1st, 2007. Setting anything sentenced on the same day should count as one. But, but when I was sentenced in July 27th, 2007, it was not into effect. Had I, and that should have been put in the appeal, and it would have maybe gone over, but it wasn't. So therefore, I started fighting it. And I did a um, 2255, I did a 60B, I did a 3582, any avenue or any vehicle that I could possibly use to get into courts to throw my case in there again is what I did. Can you give us a little, little background, just a, a quick summary of, of what those filings are? Um, well, a 2255 is basically... It sh- it's, there's only a couple of ways that you prove that. And I'm, if I'm trying to remember, because it's been so long since I filed it, one of it is basically poor representation or, um, okay. is one of them. And there's, there's four things that make it that you can file a 2255. And right now, John, I cannot remember what they are, but I used to know them. Okay, and that's, the, that's no problem. And the other one is just avenues to get back in the court. Because once you filed and exhausted all your remedies, you can no longer file. Then all that's left after you file everything, of course, is clemency or appeal to the president. Now, I did appeal to the president, but I didn't just put it in in a crap sheet, and I did it myself. I I sat down and I wrote about it, and I and I answered all the questions on there and showed all the other times that I had been fighting it. And I showed them the reasons why I felt that I should uh, be granted clemency, and I told them everything from my prior to when I worked at the College of Osteopathic Medicine, getting three promotions within a 10-month period. I told them everything positive about me, as well as anything else that I could think of that would benefit. And I just basically told them that it was so unjust and it was so wrong that I had all the co-defendants, and the majority of them got 10, 5, 7 years, and that I was the last one picked up on a 17-person indictment. And I told them that as well. So I told them everything and about introducing two people. And, and, and not only did I do that, then I had other people that I knew write, wrote and, and said things uh, about me to explain who I was and why I should be granted clemency. So and what I did find out through Amy at the Can Do Foundation mm-hmm. and Maureen, which really gave me a lot of help and a lot of advice, that anytime any letter of yours goes across a pardon attorney, that they have to open your file. So that led me to believe that I wanted my file open as much as possible, that they knew my name, in other words. So I kept submitting things and kept submitting things, and everybody else did too. And, of course, and I also stood on faith and prayer that I just knew that I was not going to do all this time. And I was quite overwhelmed even when I was granting clemency. But uh, uh, I just, uh, if I had to stay when I was 49 years old when I was sentenced, if I had to stay the whole sentence, I would have been 70 years old. And, of course, it also benefited the fact that I had never been in trouble the whole time in prison. I had even got a job where I worked for the uh, I worked for the uh, case managers cleaning their office and the counselor's office. So, and therefore, so they all knew me, and I stayed at Carswell. And it does benefit to stay at one prison so long, especially when they all get to know you and they know your character and your, and how you are. So can you take us through, you know, the moment you found out that you were getting granted clemency? 
Yes, I can. Uh, and you have to forgive me because I get emotional still. <laughs> okay. Uh, it, it, it still overwhelms me. What had happened is I had gone to, I was uh, in my room. I never will forget. I was at Carswell Camp. And over the loudspeaker, I heard my name called and said, come to the conference room. And I could have thought they said, bring a broom. Because at that time, I was cleaning for the case managers and, and counselors. And anytime they needed anything, they would definitely call me over the speaker and I would go. And um, I went down there and I went and knocked on the door. And when I opened the door, I saw inside that there was a camp administrator, uh, two counselors, two case managers, and the secretary. They were all in there. So I said, oh, excuse me. And, and I shut the door and they said, don't go nowhere, don't go nowhere. And I thought, oh, that's just kind of weird. So <laughs> then I went in. Then they said, no, come in, come in. And they said, uh, um, they started out by teasing me, telling me, uh, was I in there and something had come up missing. I said, I don't, I'm sure, excuse me, I don't understand what you're talking about. I said, uh, tell me what what is missing and I'll find it. I said, I have no idea what you're talking about. And then after a few minutes, after ribbing me a few times, they said, no, we want you in here because you've granted clemency. And I burst into tears. And I said, are you serious? Are you serious? And they said, yes, you were granted clemency. So uh, um, anyway, all I could do is say, praise God and thank you, Lord. And uh, and I was just so shocked and so amazed. And they said, but you can't get out right now. You have to take RDAP. Will you, or you have to agree to sign up for RDAP. Will you sign up for RDAP? And I said, yes. And and I was just so overwhelmed, and I cried for a week, I guess, after that. And every time I even thought about it, I cried because I was just so grateful and so overwhelmed. And uh, I went and called my daughter, and she said, are you sure, Mama? Are you sure? She said, are you sure he signed it? She, and I said, Shannon, let me have the case manager call you back. So I went around the corner and found the case manager and had her call my daughter back. And my daughter, when the case manager called her, she immediately burst into tears because she said that she had been praying and hoping for so long, and then she realized it was real, and she didn't. She was so afraid to get her hopes up to know that maybe mom was coming home, and so it was quite emotional for all of us. And uh, and I was willing to do whatever it took, whether it meant RDAP or anything else, and that's what I did. Is I had to go to Brian and, and be in the RDAP class. Which, uh, go ahead. I was just going to say, and you got you got out pretty recently, right? Yes, I did. I had to do, and even though I received clemency August the thirtieth, two thousand and sixteen, I had to go to Bryan, and I was not released from there till September seventh, two thousand and seventeen. And from there, I had to go to the halfway house, and after a month of the halfway house, I went to home confinement, and I just recently got off home confinement March the fifth, and since then, I have. Uh, been working two jobs, uh, and I also have an RV that I've obtained that I'm trying to fix up and, and to uh, lessen my overhead and perhaps live in, and that's what I've been working so diligently on and right. trying to get my life back together. When I I used to, ever I had everything, and of course when you come out and after being gone two and a half years, then you have nothing. So it's all starting over again. But I'm capable of working, and I do, and I'm just so grateful every day that I'm free. So has the has the felon label, has that uh, hindered you applying for jobs, getting jobs, finding work? Um, I'm not sure. Some places I would say yes, and let me tell you why. Because I did st- start out working for um, 
arts and crafts place, Michael's Arts and Craft. And when I went in to interview, it was the first interview I had, and he hired me on the spot. I told him that I was at the halfway house and where I'd been, and that I wanted to let him know that up front. And then he could decide whether or not he would hire me or not. And he hired me right off the bat. So I stayed with him just on through Christmas, and then I just recently changed. I haven't gone back to working uh, professional jobs as I did before, and only because it's like I had a uh, no employment history for 10 years. So, And I didn't also know that I wanted to be confined in one place. So what I'm doing now is working for Colonial Logistics, which in, in essence delivers for Amazon, so I'm out driving their van and delivering packages all day. And because I'm not ready to be confined to one place yet, I'm not ready to be, have to, um, for so long I was confined. Mm-hmm. And, and, and it's not exactly what I want to do. And it is very physical work. And I am 60 years old. But uh, it's what I'm doing now. And the pay is well. So, and I've, I've kept myself in good shape. As far as physically, the whole time I was locked up, I made sure and always maintained my health and worked out and things of this sort. So in other words, I don't know that I can't do it, so I do it. Uh, I'm sure this summer might be an issue with the heat, um, but until then, I'm going to keep doing everything I can, and I also drive for Uber in the evenings as well. Yeah, well, I guess that's that's one of the good things about uh... – you know about Uber, or Lyft, and those ride-sharing services is it gives you it gives people an opportunity who have been shut out of other you know, other opportunities based on the stigma associated with having a felony, a chance to earn some money. The crazy thing, or I mean, one of the crazy things about your felony is I'm sure um, when you tell people about it and you explain it, you know, this is what happened, I introduced two people, they probably think you're lying. Like, there's no way that you got sentenced to this much time in prison for just introducing two people. So hopefully they take the time to go back and, and look at it and actually say, oh, holy crap, this is actually, this actually happened to someone. Yes, yes, and it did actually happen, most definitely. And the thing, the way that I got my job now is because it had been so long since my conviction, because I was locked up 10 and a half years, on a normal background check, they only go back seven years. So actually, my background is shows clean at this moment because they only go back seven years. Wait, how does that work? So because... Right. Even though I have been convicted of a, of, of a felon because it's been over seven years, and when they do background checks, a normal background check only goes back seven years. So therefore, it shows that I have a my background record is good. And that's how I got on uh, delivering packages right now and with Uber. Because Lyft would not hire me, but Uber did. Well, that's good to know. And with the with the RV, so you you're able to acquire that RV. Do you do you have a place where you're going to put it, or do you have to find some land to put it on? I have to find some land, but I did talk to an RV place. I'm not really thrilled about living in an RV place because I've never even lived in an RV, much less know how to work one. And that was a little bit overwhelming because I'm thinking, I don't even know how to hook the water up or the electric, but I'm going to learn. I'm willing to learn and do all this. Uh, so, no, I don't have a place to put it, but I did talk to a place in Granbury, which is where I've been living. My daughter and my grandsons live outside of Granbury there, so that's why I wanted to live in that area where I could be close to them. Um, so it's just one step at a time and one battle at a time, and I'm overcoming it all. Yeah, you, you know, Gracie, when uh, when I read your story, Malik King from the Can Do Foundation, um, you know, 
uh, helped uh, put you in contact with me, and I, I looked up your story as soon as I saw it. I, I had to have you on the show just because, you know, I mean, my heart just broke for you seeing everything that you went through. So I, I wanted to give you a chance to to share your story, and like I said in the beginning, to I mean, people hear about this, but they don't actually get to they hear things like this happen, but they don't actually get to put a, a voice and, and a face um, with with uh, with just such incredible injustice. So. Thank you so much for coming on. And just one more question before I let you go: If you had to give, uh, you know, any advice to someone who might be facing a similar situation, or you know, just someone facing uh, a situation with some uncertainty in the uh, in the prison system, you know, maybe they're, you know, w- waiting for uh, waiting for their case, or they they have a family member maybe that is uh, that's tied up in the criminal justice system. What type of advice would you would you give to someone? I would tell them to do everything they could possibly uh, positive and not to give up and to stay out of trouble and, and, and fight and learn everything you possibly can about it and to realize that uh, it's not over till it's over and don't give in and don't don't believe a word that they say. And the justice system, they, they will tell you one thing and do another just not to believe a word they say and to stay uh, totally away from every trouble that you comes in your way. And just to constantly fight and don't give up. Somebody told me a long time ago, so long as you're constantly fighting your case, eventually you'll win. And I don't know. I, I did. So I don't know if that was why or what. But just and don't. And you have to work at it. You can't pursue it. You can't put something in and be like a lottery ticket and wait for it to go. You have to be actively involved. And I appreciate Malik introducing me to you as well. He's a, he's a very God sent and blessing to all of us. Indeed, yes, Malik and uh, and Amy Pova, the, everyone of the Candy oh, and Foundation, Amy are and Maureen, Maureen Geis is wonderful too. She was my guardian angel and stood by me for the whole time. And she's just these people are such a blessing, and they're working so hard to change these laws. And I think it needs it so bad. I hundred percent agree. And Gracie, I want to thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your story. Thank you, and I appreciate you so much. All right, bye now. Bye bye. Another great interview today with Gracie Walker. I want to thank her so much for coming on the show and having the courage to share her story. Um, you know, it's not easy for all these people that come on, all these felons, all these people that experience in the criminal justice system that have suffered great injustice. It takes a great deal of courage to come on and speak on a podcast, guys. It's not easy to talk about these times. Um, often, you know, this is the most painful part of a person's life. Try to put yourself in Gracie's shoes. As you know, she did admit she used to sell drugs, so she wasn't really surprised as to, I guess, being watched or being associated with the people. But she never thought that just by introducing two people that that would get her locked up in prison. And as so often happens, you know, they throw these charges at you. The prosecutors throw these charges at you thinking that they'll be able to get people to plea bargain um, in order to get more information or to get more people. And when it came to Gracie, they asked her for more information or to you know, pin, some, pin something on someone, and she had nothing. All that she had done with these two people is introduce them. She went to jail for introducing two people. Did she know what they were going to do, that they were going to sell illicit drugs? Yes, arguably she did, and she admits that. But did she have any part in that? I mean, just putting aside for a minute the fact that the drug wars should not be a thing. I mean, 
all this stuff should be legal, should be regulated and handled by the free market. Putting that aside, just looking at things in the context as they are today. If there's someone out there listening to this who really thinks that it is wise and just and good to put a person in prison, to lock them inside a jail cell because they introduce two people they're going to sell drugs to each other. If you think that's right, then I don't know what to tell you. I don't want to be your friend. I'll tell you that much right now. Stay the heck away from me because you are probably not a very good and compassionate person. Anyway, guys, I get worked up with this stuff and I had to laugh as I was listening to Wednesday's episode of Electric Liberty Land with Brian. And Brian had listened to you know my last episode with uh, episode 116 with Sarah Brady Wagner, where she obviously spent time in jail for selling a couple, not even selling the Adderall, just having Adderall on her that she intended to sell that was not in her prescription bottle. Anyway, Brian talked about the frustration that comes from that. And that, that frustration is, it's like energy. It's like, what do I do with this frustration? What do I do with this? I mean, I, I see this injustice. I see these bad things happening to people. I see in Pennsylvania right here, my home state, I see an opioid crisis that is killing people. And it's frustrating. It's all frustrating. The war on drugs is incredibly frustrating. And it's even more frustrating to see Donald Trump, Jeff Sessions, Republicans all over the place, normal and normal people on the street, people who vote for these people in office who are just as culpable in the crimes, in my opinion, who are just as culpable with the problem that we face caused by the war on drugs, the people who are voting these people in office to execute the plan. And I see all this stuff. And it is it is very frustrating. But that frustration, it's weird to say it, it's energizing. And I feel like I can feel a momentum growing of frustration. And I'm, you know, I wish I could bottle up and just pass it out to people so I could understand it. But I think the only way to really get this is to, to hear these stories, to, uh, you know, get out in your community and hear from people who are suffering, hear from people who have lost loved ones from this opioid crisis. And, and there's a lot of them. And unfortunately, a lot of people get that same frustration because they see what's happening with the war on drugs. Maybe they had a loved one overdose on on opioids or maybe they lost a loved one to violence from the war on drugs or something like that. And a lot of people see that and they automatically think that, okay, that in turn justifies the continuance of this war on drugs. And obviously that is not right. That is not the the way to fix it because that's what we've been doing this entire time and doing the same thing that we've been doing for the past hundred years obviously is not working. Uh, We have the same addiction rates, if not worse, than we did at the start of the war on drugs way back in the day with Harry Anslinger, that son of a bitch who grew up in Altoona, not far from where I am right now. Nothing has gotten better. The war on drugs hasn't just failed. It's made things thousands, millions of times worse. It's been a catastrophe. It's been horrible. And people are suffering. And it needs to stop. So I ask you, if you understand that, if you're listening to this show and you understand that we need to end the war on drugs, please do something about it. Talk to people. Spread this message. Share this podcast if you feel like it's helpful. Pick your favorite podcast and share it with someone. Put a human face. Put some emotion 
behind the war on drugs so people can understand where you're coming from with your bottled up frustration. Sorry for that rant, guys. I am just feeling so much passion right now. And this is yelling into this microphone, sitting alone in a room is my outlet. So thank you. Thank you for listening. I'm just going to say one more thing. If you like what we're doing here at Lions of Liberty, please, uh, you can help us out. You can join our Lions of Liberty Pride. You can get bonus content. We produce a lot of bonus content. We have some recurring shows, Degenerate Gamblers, Conspiracy Corner. Sometimes we release shows early. I think I'll have a couple interviews, actually, that I might be releasing early. I'm going to be interviewing Adam Kokesh. I'll probably release that one early to our Pride. Uh, Maybe one or two more coming up in the next month. We'll see how that goes. Also, we have bonus questions. We'll offer exclusively to the Pride to uh, offer up some questions to ask guests, and then we'll just release those answers to the Pride. So you can get all that bonus content for five bucks a month by joining the Pride. Obviously, though, if you want to up your game, we have more perks. $10, you get a free T-shirt, a koozie, and uh, at at 5 and 10, in all the levels, you get in our uh, private Pride Facebook group as well, I should say. At 15, you get, on top of everything else, you get our... Our uh, daily, our daily news link dump. It's curated by Howie Snowden. I don't know how Howie has the time to do it. He pulls all the relevant news links, and it's it's amazing. And we categorize them into liberty, into criminal justice, into culture, into cryptocurrency, into mainstream media, into politics. All these different news stories. You get that delivered to your email every Monday through Friday. And then if you want to join higher. that will get you, of course, um, everything else we talked about with also the monthly conference call that you have with us. So, guys, lots of ways to join the Pride. Go to lionsofliberty.com slash support and uh, help us out. I mean, we are trying to grow this show. We are growing this show, and it's amazing. It's amazing. I'm humbled by the growth we've seen in the Pride. Right now, we are at, last time I checked, I think, $1,096 per month we're getting from the Pride. Uh, This is going to continue to grow, and we're going to continue to advertise. We are going to Porkfest. Porkfest, if we made $1,000 a month, we promised going to Porkfest. I think our next goal is $1,500, and that will get us to uh, some other things, maybe out to Freedom Fest and some other other things like that. And we're going to continue to advertise as well to grow this show. So thank you so much for your support. We could not do without you guys. And even if you're not a Pride member, thank you for listening. Thank you for sharing the show. Thank you for everything you do for the Alliance of Liberty podcast. That's all I got today, guys. Thank you so much for listening. This is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fires of Liberty burning.